boom, new podcast. This dude's, I mean, if you ever watched, I, I would say Entourage. Everyone knows he was amazing in Entourage. Jeremy Piven has been amazing in so many movies. His approach and his and and what he take brings to a role blows me away. Uh, I had an opportunity to party with him when I first moved out here, and we and I bring that up, and uh, we we talk about that. We talk about what his life's like. I'm always curious with a guy like that. Like, what's it, what's what's his daily routine like? Like, what's he like? He lights a cigar in the middle of this, and I go that when you see a dude light a cigar in the middle of the day in their own house it kind of always just makes you go like fuck i want to be like that guy like that fucking seems cool shit he's doing stand-up we talk about him doing stand-up and we talk about people not wanting other comics not wanting him to do stand-up i know some of these comics they're good guys uh, by the way they're all good guys you can be friends with people that don't agree on very specific subjects um but he's a guy that i've always wanted to see talk whenever he's in a movie he just draw you he draws the eye and he's also in Last call with Jamie Kennedy, and I and I and I hope that these are coming out at a fair time to help the movie out. We're very backlogged, but um, we talk about that. We talk about his friendship with John Cusack a little bit. We talk about them, uh, kind of coming up in the game and all the people he started with, and his parents had this big acting school. It's a great conversation. I'm not going to tell you too much about it now. I want you to hear it. I want you to listen to it, ladies and gentlemen, actor, comedian podcaster he did a podcast with mike tyson with bill burr where mike tyson was on mushrooms we talk about that i would say put your hands together but don't just keep driving keep doing what you're gonna do blink for me if you could blink for jeremy piven this is how's it going man Good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How's uh you doing a lot of press for the movie? I, I am. Um yes, and it's uh it's fascinating uh doing as you know morning radio. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best, right? It's the best. the best. Because it's dawn, you have pie crust in your eyes, and some <laughs> dude's just screaming at you, you know, mad cows, morning. Uh, Madhouse here. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm out of the Oh, I can't. I can't. You're in your underwear. It's awkward. I've been doing. I've been doing morning press for so long that yeah. I've gotten. I've now whittled it down to like when I do those. I used to do where it was like forty call-ins uh, a, a morning, like back to back to back to back to back, five minutes long. And now I've got it down where I I can do like a couple days, and it's all people I've known for like twenty years. You you become a master at this stuff. I don't know how you I don't know how you do it. You're it takes a you, toll. I think I think it takes a toll on your on on the inside of your heart. It's very dra It's very draining. Yeah you you're from you're from a, a, a you've you've straddled the fence on like on when doing press was like like when you when you started it was not like a big deal. If you, if they wanted you to do Letterman, you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then there were actors who didn't do any press. And now we're on the other side of it where I have three podcasts. I'm talking nonstop. I have thousands of hours of speaking, like of, of, of catalogs of everything. I remember going back and hearing like, like being like Johnny Depp won't do press. And you're like, 
oh, what a wild man. And now that is not an option at all, especially if you have a project and you want people to see it. You're like, fuck, man, I got to whore myself out and be a version of and be vulnerable, too, because I, I've we have a, t, a game show, Go Big Show. And I did press the other day and they go, so, Bert, congratulations on being a finalist. I was like, I'm the host of the show. <laughs> and they're like, oh, sorry, never heard of you. And I was like, that's a great way to start my morning. <laughs> Yeah, but you you seem to know how to almost more than anyone I've ever seen navigate this space and really look like you're having fun at all times. And that's one of the reasons why people love you. It feels like I'm interviewing you right now, doesn't it? No, dude, I have <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if that's an accurate assessment, but I feel thank you. I feel like uh I feel very lucky to be working. Like I you know, I think that's the other side of it is I've been in this business for so long. It's interesting to be, to have you on my podcast because I've been a legit fan of yours for, I mean, I mean, the first, the first, first thing, I mean, I, I it's funny. I go, I was going through your, your resume today and I'm like, I remember you on shit way before I remember you on shit, but like, judge, <laughs> but that's how night, old you are, motherfucker. Yeah. I was like, I remember you on <laughs> shit before I remember you on shit. And then all of a right. sudden I'm like, oh shit, he was on Ellen. Like you've done so much shit that for me. And I think this is why it comes out that I'm, I'm, I'm having a good time is like, I feel very privileged to get to sit with you and talk to you about, about anything for an hour. That means a, a lot to me. Cause like I said, man, I mean, your body of work is unparalleled, you know? Well, it's funny because I remember sitting with you at the bar, uh, at, at the comedy store. And I was excited to sit down with you, man, because I've really grown to have a very specific reference for stand-up and so i really appreciate what you do and your boys like bill and everybody you know i'm not just a guy who is theorizing about stand-up i've now you know i'm walking through it and so i can really appreciate what you guys do so for me to have a chance to sit with you at the bar and then jeff ross pulled me away which is another story for another day (laughs) um you know i was kind of like but i just why (laughs) <laughs> Why I want to, and I we were just starting to get into it, so I feel like this is a continuation of our conversation at the bar. It's funny. I remember when you had your travel channel show, and uh, and you were going on this spiritual journey, and I was like, Jesus Christ, man! I there's so many things about you that I, that I've like uh, moments where I would have run into you. There was a girl, a young lady. I wish I could remember her name. She was friends with you. I ended up doing. I ended up doing coke in a at, in at the Argyle in the penthouse with not her. She wasn't doing it, but a guy there, and uh, and she was like, "Yeah, I'm going out to Jeremy's house tomorrow. He's he's having a party at his beach house or whatever in Malibu." And I was like, "Holy shit!" And I just I remember I was just gotten to Hollywood. I just got into Hollywood, and I was like, "Oh my god, what's that world like?" And then I saw this, like, I it's funny. I I envision your life. And I'm curious to see how close to what I imagine your life to be is actually accurate. Like you do live in Malibu, right? I sold my place to, in its public record, to J-Lo and A-Rod. And they had it for a month and a half and flipped it. And so now it's on the market. So I may buy my own house back (laughs) from J-Lo. And by the way, for more money. Because I couldn't sleep last night thinking I need J Lo needs more money, right? Yeah. Right? No one ever, ever. Um, <laughs> no, listen, brother, to, to be totally honest with you, man, if I were if, if I were to break down for you my life and who I really am, 
you would probably, and I'm not just saying this, be really bored and, and you would think, ah, fuck, it's not what I thought. To give you an example, for instance, that those, those Malibu parties, had them every Sunday. And I love to play the drums. So it's an excuse. By the way, I don't know why I'm yelling. It's like, I'm <laughs> such a fucking old Jew that I don't even understand technology. I think, are you, can you hear me? What the fuck am I doing? What am I doing, Bert? I'm going to move back a little bit. Um, no, I, uh, I, I played the drums and, uh, and I have a lot of friends who are musicians, great musicians. And so it was an excuse for me to have them over. And I would sit behind that fucking kid all day. And I would just, we would just play, you know, Zeppelin and U2 and Bob Marley covers all day. So like I would have these parties and just invite people over. It was really an excuse for me to, to play music all day. And, yeah. and it was an incredible time. And, and I was shooting Entourage at the time. And then right over, right after that, I went to four years of Mr. Selfridge in the UK. And to be honest with you, it's like, you know, people don't realize when I was playing Ari, for instance, I would have to literally put every fiber of my being into that because every take was everything I possibly had, you know, and each word had to be letter perfect. It was kind of like the Jews will know this. How do you know a guy's Jewish? He'll tell you. Listen to me. I fucking, I'm Jewish. I know. Um, no, but like, it was like my Haftorah portion when I was bar mitzvah. Like it had to be every word. And for me, it's an honor that people thought that I was improvising because it was letter perfect. And so for me to be ready, like a play, like every time I stepped on that set, I had to be so in that zone, you know, and I've had musicians come up to me and they go, man, I have a respect for what you do because we can light candles and, and, you know, decide to do a take at a million o'clock. We get, you know, we have to be on at dawn. And so I would put everything into Entourage and then I would just go hide in Malibu and just regroup, get my energy back together and then go in and crush it. And then Sundays were my day to play music and I invite people over and, and we would have fun. And it would have been great to meet you back in the day because <laughs> we would probably still be friends and it would have been great. And it's not, you know, I, to be honest with you, I'm just a stage actor. I'm a journeyman actor from Chicago. And so I, our whole thing in Chicago grew up at second city and doing sketch comedy and blah, blah, blah. And our, our whole thing is we're a community and we support each other and we're, we're, you know, another person's success doesn't take away from your own. So we're all in it together. And I remember you mentioned Ellen. I remember that was one of my first shows after doing the Larry Sanders show and blah, blah, blah. And I remember I like wrote cards to everyone, you know, on the night that we opened on TV and I handed them out and people were just like, what is this? What are you doing? Because, you know, I'm used to like, it's opening night and we're all in this together and we're going to yeah. get in a huddle and, you know, fucking love each other. And Hollywood's a little different. And I think, I think I'm not saying everyone, but you know, people who maybe don't have it together and don't know who they are, they can see your kindness and mistake it for weakness. Oh, and it's motherfucker. A it's a mistake. That's a mistake. Let me tell you something. My kindness has been repeatedly mistaken for weakness. And, uh, and it got me to a place where I started. I, I mean, I've, told, I've told this to, to Joe. I've said this on Joe's podcast, but I've talked to Joe about this a lot. One of the mantras I have that fucks my head up is when I go, so you think I'm weak? Like you, you, th you, I, I, I honest, literally. I've said that is my mantra that sends me through the roof. And when uh, when our 
my buddy Ari Shafir drugged me. Um, so first thing Joe and I, I said to Joe, he's like, don't let, don't let this do the thing. This, this isn't what it is. It's not, I know where your brain's going. Your brain's going, you think I'm weak. And I go, that's exactly where my brain is. And he was like, don't let, he fucked up. He fucked up. He's an idiot. He thought it was going to be funny. Do not let your brain go there because then it'll fracture your relationship with him. Cause I'll never, I wouldn't, if I had gone there, I would have never been able to forgive him. Like I, and, and thankfully, you know, I think I, Ari is, it's an interesting name to talk to you about, but Ari Shafir is someone who I, uh, who I've, I've shared so much time with. I know that he would never look at me that like, there's a, just a bond, but you're right, man. Like coming into this business. And then it's interesting because you came in as, as this young actor with, you know, giving everyone cards. And then you play this character like Ari Gold, who everyone goes is the ultimate alpha Hollywood take advantage of weakness almost. Right. Yeah. But you have to, yes, 1000%. And you have to understand Ari Emanuel, who that character. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah my bad. Yeah. No, who that character is yeah. like people. And I talk about this in my standup that, you know, I've been in people's living rooms and for a decade with that character. And it's understandable that they would get confused. And because my ideology is so different uh, than our Emanuel's who that character is, it's confusing when they think that I am that character, you know, and I'm a douchebag because of you, bro. You know, and it's like. <laughs> Hey, tell my wife that she's a rusty cunt bucket. Can you tell my wife? Yeah. And I'm like, bro, we're in front of a Cinnabon, brother. Please, come on. Um, and that happens all, bro. I, I can't even tell you, you know. And the thing is, this is what the, the journey's about. And it's been a great lesson for me. I used to get so offended because I grew up in the theater, you know, and my family has a theater and everyone, like, if you need a scholarship, it's a very difficult process. You have to ask for one. That's the only criteria. Everyone's on scholarship. We're the worst business people in the history of business. We've never made any money. Like no one's paying for classes. And here I am playing the biggest businessman in the world. It's a fucking joke. And the fact that people mistake me because Ari Emanuel is a great businessman. He, you know, with a lot of Chinese money, bought the UFC. I'm sorry. I just had some truth serum. I apologize. Um, no, he, he is he is one of the best, if not the best, in the game. Yeah. And his, his record speaks for itself. That's Ari. I'm just a journeyman actor from Chicago. And I and I know Ari and I've seen his his personality is fascinating. You think he's a pig, he's monogamous to his wife. He lives in all these beautiful dualities. And I just knew when HBO came, when, when we were gonna do this, I knew that character is unbelievable. If if we are allowed to show that character and the backstage life of Hollywood that people are fascinated by, everyone except for Joe Rogan, and I understand that. <laughs> by the way, I, I know why Rogan is not, you know, he doesn't interview actors and stuff like that. I get it. And I love that dude. And he's paved the way for so many people because yeah. he's so authentic. And he literally carved out a path that I, I celebrate and I love. Um, I digress. And we'll get back to that <laughs> in a second. But so, yeah, it is it is surreal to be mistaken for that guy. And so I used to be offended. And the reality is you got to drop all that shit, man. you got to drop it. You know, just and, you know, bro, you're a fucking douchebag. Come here, bro. Take a pic. Take a pic, bro. Come here. And like they assumed that 
that they know me and that I'm a, I'm a douchebag and they, they want to show me their inner douchebag. And that's, you know, that's something I can't be angry at that because I played this character as authentically as possible to the point where they believed it. And I can't get angry at that. I'd be a dummy if I did. So I just learned to embrace it, you know, and, and, and like you alluded to, we're, you and I are very kind people and that kindness has been taken for weakness. And uh, I can't be angry because I'm misunderstood. I put it out there. Yeah, yeah. I worked very, very hard to put it out there. It's funny because I, I, I know for a fact that I, that I've put out, I've put out energy of this, of I, and I, and once you put it out, you, you don't realize you've put it out, but then all of a sudden everyone, you know, some people may see it as like, you know, he's a great joke writer or, or, uh, or he's a great storyteller rather. And then some people will go, Oh, he's just this big fat drunk alcoholic rips his shirt off. And maybe that's what they connect to. And I did put that out there. Like I didn't, I didn't, I'm not, that's not, not a part of me, but it, there is a time. Did you ever feel like you wanted to put the toothpaste back in the tube where you're like, fuck man, I've hit it out of the park so hard. I wish I could get in front of this and control it a little bit. Cause I don't want people to think that's who I am. Well, first of all, these are great questions, by the way. I have to I have to give it up to you because this is this is this is great. And you're absolutely right. Um, I'll tell you what I wasn't prepared for. Being a being a journeyman actor, doing my thing under the radar, 40 movies into my career, and then entourage hits. I win the fresh face of the year award at 37. I accept my award. I say there's nothing fresh about my face but I will happily accept this award. Um, after putting all that time in and hitting that character and then having the press come after me, the knives were out and they were creating this narrative uh, based on the character. And I started like GQ magazine, the biggest dicks in America, me, John Mayer and, and President Bush, the biggest dicks in America. And it listed why I'm such a dick. He's got tribal tattoos. He drives a Bentley. And I'm looking at this and I literally reached out to the writer because I was like, this is good writing. Like, this guy's funny. None of it's true. I don't have any tattoos. No, it's like, <laughs> I've never driven a Bentley. I, you know, I drive a 73 Ford Bronco. Bro, you don't know me. Yeah. You don't know me. And it's just so interesting. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I did this interview with... Um, with this magazine and I sat with this woman for hours in a coffee shop and it was incredible. And I talked the way I'm talking to you truthfully. And the headline was hide your daughters. And you go, Oh, okay. And I wasn't prepared for it. I'm just a fucking, I'm, I'm a fucking journeyman actor grinding. I made it. And now I'm this guy. Okay. So it took me a minute. It took me a minute. And I, I never, like you said, tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube because I, I would never apologize for working my ass off and having my work be misunderstood. Yeah. You, you know, that's all part of life. So I needed to, okay. All right. The game is rigged. Now, what are you going to do? Motherfucker. You're going to be a little bitch and be a fucking victim. The world doesn't fucking get me. Fuck that. You got to fucking grow up and, and how are you going to navigate this shit? And by the way, it's still happening. We know it. We know how this world is. Um, you're a fucking great comic and, and a decent fucking human being that's this misunderstood. And you're going to get 
hate from people because they see your success and, and it stirs something up with them. You know, your fucking light disturbs their demons and you're going to get that shit. You know, I met you at, um, at the laugh factory initially and I saw one of your sets and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like you were so authentic. Like I thought you were joking. You were hammered because you've been day drinking. And, and I was like, is this a bit? And you got up on stage and crushed it. I was like, how is that even possible that you could be that hammered and, and that lucid crush a set in front of a packed house? I was like, oh, this, and then I was, I watched all your stuff and I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I got it. It's funny. I, uh, yeah, I, you, sometimes you see people comment on you and you just, and it, 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 it makes me lose my mind when I go, Oh, you don't know me at all. Like you, you have no idea who I am, and and you're really taking this out of context. And and I wish you just got to know me because that's not. And, and by the way, I was high and I was drunk, and I didn't. We were on a podcast, and I didn't know anyone listened to these. That was ten years ago. Like I don't fucking you know. But yeah. but you're right. Once you, you know, you, I, I can't apologize for trying to be my authentic self, and I and I always try to like treat everyone with respect. And it's you know, it's funny you say. um, I went and did a uh, Bobby Lee's podcast with his Bobby was out of town and I did it with his, his girlfriend and the other co-hosts were there and they were asking like, you know, are you afraid of uh cancel culture? And I was like, I think everyone is ultimately. But then I was like, but I am who I really am is the guy who walked in and said, Hey, I'm going to take my mask off now. If everyone's comfortable. Um, I got tested yesterday. I got tested on my own before I did that. There is a part of me that is, is very cognizant of treating people the way I want to be treated. My, perfect example i have a guy i work with we're going to do this thing and i said if he wants to like not do it because of covid stuff and wants to just like actually not do it i'll just keep paying him and he can stay here he doesn't have to go and and everyone's like well we need to find someone else and i was like i'll figure it out i'll figure it out by myself i go i, I just know that i I would want that opportunity to tap the fuck out. <laughs> like I would want that opportunity to not have to work in COVID and make things complicated. And then everyone's like, ah, oh, this is fucking stupid. And I was like, nah. And so I think I, I think we're that, that same type of person that, that maybe that kind of, it's that weak and that people think it's weak and you're like, no, I'm just trying to be like genuine. And then if you're too genuine, they're like, oh, this is a fucking hoax. No one's in, no one's that into yoga and tea. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I am into a lot of different things, you know what I mean? But I, like, you know, you, you don't want to sound like a, some pretentious fuck talking about meditation. You know what I mean? You it's are, like you fight are into meditation, aren't you? I am, but it's like fight club. You don't talk about fight club. <laughs> I, meditated, I meditated yesterday. I used the call map. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, there you go. I mean, it's interesting because some people are like, bro, I meditate. I meditate all the time when I fucking, when I train, bro, I fucking, that's, I meditate. And when I shoot guns, you know, when I, when I punch people in the fucking face, that's when I meditate. My golf. I got, when I golf, I meditate. My golf. And that's all, that's great because for them, what they're tapping into is like, they got that singular focus and they're shutting everything off. And that's, that is their meditation. But, and if you do go inward every morning for 15, 20 minutes and you just breathe and you expect nothing of yourself and you see your thoughts and you recognize them and you go, I'm good, man. I don't have to be a slave to these. Cause we all are, man. We all got a fucking circus monkey brain. That's going to doubt ourselves. And, you know, 
And, and by the way, there's a reason why it's been around for thousands of years. You know, you go inward and, and you get present and you got a, you got, you got a better day. Who wouldn't want a part of that? So yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to preach that shit, but it's just, it's all part of it. Yeah. For me, I think I, I like, I know certain things work and I like, if I really sweat aggressively and like run hard and do sprints, then I get all the impurities out of my brain and I feel great. And then if I can polar plunge, like those little things, I would love to add meditation. I signed up for TM the first week of sober October, the first sober October we did. And, uh, and I missed, I, it was the wrong day and I showed up and I missed the wrong thing and I got fucking angry. And I, yeah. I would be curious, you would be an amazing experiment because the, the, the problem with you is it feels like you would probably take so well to meditation and because you seem like a good, like you'd be a good student, but your brand is that you are the shirtless wild man who is out of his fucking mind. And I just wonder if you did like, it'd be very interesting to see if you evolved and you, and you went inward and you were like, wait, why am I poisoning myself? Okay. Maybe yeah. I should put my shirt on. Wait, who am I fooling? And then you became this other guy. If you were like, fuck. And then you just started hemorrhaging money. Everyone's fucking jumping ship. They don't want any part of your fucking spiritual ass. You know what I mean? Then you're like, wait, what the fuck? And then you would have a true conundrum. Do I continue to evolve as a person or do I just fucking throw it away and go backwards and continue to poison myself because it's good for my brand? I would love to see that show. <laughs> we, it's funny. The first sober October we did, uh, I got a text. It was, I was at a baseball game, a Rockies baseball game. I was drinking a Coors Light and uh, I got a text from you know our, our group of friends, Segura and Rogan and Ari. And they were like, do you think you could go sober for 90 days. And I was like, easy peasy was my, was my reply. And my managers and agents are like, uh, this is going to destroy your career. <laughs> I was like, what? And I was like, I, in my head, I just never, I've never put like, everyone's like, what are you worried about getting ripped and, and losing weight? And I'm like, no, I've wanted to get ripped and lose weight my whole life. It's never fucking happened. And if it does happen for whatever reason, I will then walk down that path and see what happens. I will still rip my shirt off his shows and just flex through the fucking shows. But I mean, uh, it's look at, it's not like when you lose weight, you're going to lose your funny. Like your funny is, is, (laughs) is is intertwined in your fat. You know what I mean? You're going (laughs) to melt away your funny and you'll just be ripped and just self-conscious and boring. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I, uh, I, I remember, I remember getting, it's, it's funny, it's a funny conversation because I remember as a fan being bummed when you would see guys like, uh, like Farley or Belushi is the a better example. Belushi do, um, Continental Divide. I'd be like, oh, wait, where's the, where's the crazy guy I signed up for? And I remember being like, or Jim, Jim Carrey would be like a serious actor. I was like, ah, oh, I want, I like Dave Ventura, such a meathead American thing to say. But on the other side of that fence, I always am cognizant of going like, Jesus, like, I don't want to, I don't want to go f- swim too far from the boat, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think once you start second guessing yourself and thinking like, because you really think people want to see me do stand up, Bert? No, I do. And I, I love, bro, I love the fact that they doubt me. <laughs> I love it because it's just, it's just fantastic because I've always been the underdog. I've never, I've never auditioned for a role that said Jeremy Piven type. You know what I mean? I'm just never in my life. I'm just this, I'm, I, you know, 
I'm not any one type. And I've had to go in the room and audition and, and, and get those roles my whole life. And I love that. I love having to prove myself. It's all part of it. It just fires you up and, and gets you ready for it. And, and, and I love that. So, and I love doing stand up, and I'm doing, you know, a couple hundred shows a year. It's different in 2020, obviously, because we're performing for cars and being heckled by Kia Sorrentos, which is adorable, by the way. <laughs> and you know it better than anyone. <laughs> Making large, large group of liberals leave in their Priuses, but they leave quietly. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, I, I love it. And I, I've been loving the road. And it's inspiring to me. And you, you, you know, we, we can either get into this conversation or not. But, you know, it's funny because Jeff Ross said, hey, man, you are you looking at all this? You're getting fucking crushed on the Internet by these these comics coming after you. And I'm just like, I brother, I got to be honest with you. I don't know what you're talking about. And what I do, which is really healthy, is I just I don't even I turn off my notices. So I don't I don't I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no clue. And it's just it's just such a metaphor for life because. Why would you put your energy towards that? I'm going to, all I'm doing is trying to get better. That's all I'm doing. And if, if that distracts from that in any way, why would I, why would I put my attention to it? And yet that's what he does for a living is he's the roast master. So he spends his life in that space and it's really healthy for some people and not healthy for others. And yet, ironically, I played a character who was roasting everyone. He was an equal opportunity offender at all times. And so I think there's this confusion. It's like, oh, well, that's your energy. It's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't need to go bad on people. I'd rather, I'd rather find out who they are. I absolutely love my skylight frames. And when I say frames, I say it in plural because we have four, four now. I have one here in Serbia. I am in Serbia. Um, I have one for the campers that's in Tampa or in LA. I have one for my parents that's in LA. I have one for my sisters that's in LA. And we all share photos. It's super easy. You see, I set one up for my mom and my mom lost her fucking mind. She was like, this is great. I feel like I'm not, uh, you know, out of touch. I, I feel like I'm staying in touch with the, all those that love me. And, and it's the easiest way to do it is with the skylight frame. All you do is email photos anytime, anywhere. The greatest way, sorry, the greatest way to feel close to the loved ones when you're away, like I am right now. Anyone in the family can send a photo to the frame. It's so easy and it keeps everyone in touch and it's effort. It sends it's effortless. Uh, it sets up in 60 seconds and it looks like a real frame. It's beautiful and it's super easy. 10 inch touch screen. You can flip through photos if you want. And it's a great Mother's Day gift. It really is. Surprise them with the photos they didn't even know you had. Set it up. Send all those photos. They're going to lose their mind. I'm telling you, I get stuck on my skylight every morning when I make coffee in LA. Hey, how you doing, sir? Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'll be done in a second. Okay. Now is a special holiday offer. You can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com and enter the code BERT. I think it's it's interesting that, um, like, I, I, I understand where... Uh, where that energy comes from comics when they see someone like you get into stand-up i i get that i get that because people think well how come but then i i think what they realize is i think their fear is that you wouldn't take it seriously you know i think that's what they get upset with 
because I remember people doing that about Steve-O. I remember people shitting on Steve-O. And I was like, Steve-O's a, first of all, Steve-O's a great guy. And he's got crazy stories. And I'm and I and for me, it comes down, do I want to watch them talk on stage? You, I definitely want to watch you talk on stage. I well, want, I so badly want to watch you. Same with Steve-O. Same with Joel McHale. Guys that people feel like there should be rules, right? You should get in, work the door at the store, park cars. Then you get an opportunity. Then you get another opportunity. Then you get a little bit of a break, then a bigger break. And and I know that I came at this business sideways, you know, written up in Rolling Stone magazine, number one party animal in the country, Oliver Stone option the rice of my life. I'm working the door at the Boston Comedy Club. All of a sudden I get a six figure deal with Will Smith. And it was, I was like fucking persona non grata with comics. They were like, oh, so you just some famous party kid and now you got a career. Fuck you. I've been doing this 10 years. You didn't do it the right way. And I remember thinking, there's no fucking right way. Like, you, and, and I think that that's the people that get upset is the same people that got upset with me. I didn't know that was your history, and that's fucking cool. That's yeah. awesome. And, and you've navigated it beautifully. I just came around when I just saw your stand-up and watched it and loved it, and I have no reference for that. Yeah. And that's amazing you navigated that. And um, for me, you have to understand, each person is different. I grew up at Second City doing sketch comedy. I started with Chris Farley in the 90s in Chicago. That's how old I am. We started in the, in the, in the touring company together. So I've been doing sketch comedy and writing on my feet and improvising in groups, not alone, since I was eight years old. And so I've got you know for over 40 years of stage time. Now, have I? It's, a, it's the same engine, different gear, and stand-up was is I'm so humbled by it and it's so difficult. And there's a reason why actors, prolific actors don't transition because it takes all of your time and you have to throw yourself into it. Um, and so I respect the space as much as anyone, because I get how difficult it is. And I knew that unless I threw myself into it, why would I waste people's time? So I get, I get why people uh, it would uh, be apprehensive or against, you know, embracing me in that way. But I just respect the space. And in a weird way, um, all roads in my journey lead to stand-up because I've also had to host. They asked me to host the uh, Montreal Comedy Festival just for laughs. Do you know this story? Did no. I ever tell you this? Oh, my no. God, bro. This is, this will go, this is, you know, the, the actor's nightmare is you're thrown on stage and, you, and we have it all the time. You don't know your lines and you have to somehow navigate on stage and work your way out. And I have it all the fucking time. And by the way, that happened to me in college. I was playing Mark Anthony and Julius Caesar and the guy playing Brutus went up on his lines and fucking just, and, and I, I was like, oh bro, I, I can't help you. I can't help you with Shakespeare. It's Shakespeare, you got to come up with it. You got to come up with something. And he just goes, vermin. And he fucking, he just said vermin and walked away. And so I had to improvise Shakespeare. And I was like, you all did see that Brutus had left. And they improvised Shakespeare. Right. And I, and I butchered Shakespeare. Literally, he rolled out of his grave and tried to choke me out. That's how bad my Shakespeare was. No one should improvise Shakespeare. Um, but I grew up, I grew up, you know, improvising. And so I get, I, 10 years ago, my, my agent said, you've been offered to host uh, Just for Laughs. 
And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I didn't have a reference for it because I'm a dummy. <laughs> and and um, I didn't know it was the biggest comedy festival in the world. Yeah, especially and, and 10 I, years ago. Especially 10 years ago. Holy shit, bro. So I said, I'm not a, I'm not a stand-up. What? I don't understand. He goes, no, this is great. And so you just, you trust these guys, right? Yeah. So I get there. And... I say, I go there the night before. What, what do you guys need? Oh, we just need, it's going to be televised live. You're going to, you're going to get up there and do a, a quick 20. I said, a quick 20 of what? They said, stand up. You're going to open with 20 minutes of stand up. I said, oh, no, no, no. I, I don't, uh, I, I'm not a stand up. No. And then there's five comics and you'll do five, five minute wraparounds. So that's 25 more minutes. Uh, um, 45 minutes of stand up. Yeah, I mean I'm getting anxiety and I've been doing comedy 22 years. When you say you're going to open with 20 and I'm like on TV, on, on television, on Canadian television. Bro, I have never looked at it because I'm, I'm still scared. Oh. I still start sweating. So I just basically told a story about, about taking my mom to the Golden Globes and introducing her to to Meryl Street, and my mom literally freezes and literally can't move. And I'm just shaking my mom, mom. It's, and so what I did was I interrupted myself various times. I just had to give myself a through line. I can't do stand-up, right? Yeah. So I had to just tell a story and then get sidetracked, you know, during the story and and just, you know, get a phone call, look at a text, and just play into a narrative that they think is me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, I won't even look at it. I won't even look at the tape. I've never looked at it because it's a nightmare. I mean, so I somehow cobbled together 20 minutes on live television and then, you know what I mean? So my point is I got thrown into the deep end and I wasn't prepared. I never want to feel that again. Yeah. Ever. Oh yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. So now I'm, I, I just want to be prepared. And, you know, I, I get up, I'll get up anywhere. I don't know if you've noticed my feed, but yes. like, I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll perform next to a nachos machine behind a dumpster, <laughs> you know, in Rancho Cucamonga for 11 people. I just need to get the reps. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, and Jane, and now I'm wondering, did that, did you notice? Cause I'm, I'm assuming uh, last call is probably the most recent movie you've done where you've been doing this much standup. Did you notice a difference in acting once you had been doing this much stand-up? Was it, was, could you feel a different muscle showing up? 1,000%. Really? It, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, in the way that the reason I'm able to even navigate a stage as a stand-up is because I grew up on the stage, so I'm comfortable there. So the variable is obviously material. Oh, just yeah. material. That's all. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so... In the same way that I've been working that muscle and working bits and observational stuff, misdirection, whatever. Yeah. Um, when it comes time to improvise in a movie, that skill is sharpened. And so you can get to it quicker. There's less fat on your, on your humor in a movie. So it's more precise. And in last call, nice transition, by the way, Bert, I thank you for that. Uh, in last call that, you know, <laughs> is is out um in theaters and you know on on itunes and amazon and uh i'll be doing it as a puppet show in your backyard i'll do it anywhere <laughs> um 
there was a, there was a lot of a lot of improv in that movie, and comics like Jamie Kennedy, the great Bruce Dern, uh, Taron yeah. Manning, uh, Kathy Moriarty, and, and just a, a host of others. You know, it's a movie about these guys from Philly, and everyone's got the Peter Pan syndrome, and no one has left the bar, and they're just guys. They just don't want to leave. They don't want to grow up. And, and my character, Mick, gets out. And he's a bit of a, you know, he's a slave to his ambition and he's crushing it. His mom dies. He goes home and he doesn't want to hang with these guys. He wants to separate himself because that means death. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's about and he gets this great offer to gentrify the neighborhood and basically wipe out all of his boys and his, and his dad and the pub that he's inherited. Um and it's about coming to terms with who you are, who your friends are, what matters the most in this life. And it's also a big, raunchy, stupid, silly, lowbrow comedy. So it's a, it's a bit of a hybrid. It looks awesome. I haven't seen that. I just saw the trailer. And, uh, and I saw the trailer, I think, on your Instagram before. It's funny. It was before I, I did a podcast with Jamie Kennedy. And I saw the trailer before. I interviewed Jamie and then didn't put two and two together because Jamie's got long hair. And if I'm not mistaken, I thought it was, I, I hope this isn't an insult to Jamie, but I, I thought it was Bradley Cooper. I swear to and God. You think that's an insult to Jamie well, Kennedy? Or maybe to Bradley. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was Bradley Cooper the whole time. And I was like, he's going back for another Philly character. <laughs> but I, he looks, Jamie looks jacked in it. And like a couple of the scenes that I saw, he looks like he's muscular with long hair. And I was, I did not know it was Jamie. Jamie's Jamie somehow is rocking a man bun, you yeah. know, and, and he's, and he's, he's looking great and he's really funny in it. And you get to see with Jamie, you see how sharp his improvs are. You know, he's, he's one of these guys that hasn't left the neighborhood and he's a bouncer and he's out there and he's just, he's just crushing improv. And, he looks at one guy and says, I can't let you in. We got a three stain policy. You got, <laughs> you got more that. than three stains, brother. We can't <laughs> let you in. Yeah. And he's just, Jamie's just absolutely crushing it. And Bruce Dern, Bruce Dern is one of those guys. If you can list actors that could have transitioned into stand up, Bruce Dern would be one of them. Oh, I because bet. he was so quick with his improvs and he just, you got to be on your toes with that guy. Cause he would just, he was, he was just a crusher. And Taryn Manning is a fucking awesome. She is awesome in everything she does. Yeah, and she she's such a good actress, and in she plays this she plays Allie, and uh, she's like my my crush from the time I was growing up, and she's very confronting in it, and she basically just says, "I heard you sold out," and it's in life, it's very rare when people are that. I wish people were were that honest with me. You know, um, I, I think you have a group of friends that, that are pretty straight with you. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, I, you don't wish for it. It's it becoming <laughs> what you wish for. <laughs> Dude, I get I get texts from my friends. Your ticket prices are too high. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you doing a meet and greet? Oh, I'm only fucking sellouts to do meet and greets, Bert. Uh, my, my, the honesty within our, my friend group can be brutal at times. But it's, but it's, you know, I think it's one of those things that keeps you level. You know, I'd, I, it's. It's definitely it's diff definitely better than being in a in like a a bubble where it's just you and your you know like yes men you know but it, it's a lot better believe me I mean they care about you and um and everything is right there and um 
it's hard to take your lumps, but at the same time, I would so much rather that than people just kind of afraid of a confrontation and then they go away and talk shit about you, but you just never know how they actually feel. That's, that's not a great way to be. Right. So you're very lucky, my friend. What's up? You're very lucky to be shit on daily. (laughs) I, Hey, I, I, I welcome the shit. (laughs) I'm a glutton. There you go. You grew up, pretty much grew up in the theater, right? Your, your mom and dad ran, were actors. Your sister was an actor and and everything was actors. Did you have like a, like a group of friends, like these friends in last call that like, that are like guys that never got into acting that are, did you have that group of friends or did you, were you kind of always in the arts? And then that was like, I know you and John Cusack lived together for a while. And I'm not saying that John Cusack isn't a, a punch you in the dick kind of guy, but in this movie, it seems like, this character surrounded by punch you in the dick type dudes. I grew up, I, I had this interesting duality where I was an, I was playing football. I was the only white boy on my football team, which is confusing because my Jersey number said linebacker and my body said kicker. Um, <laughs> so I had, I, I was navigating that world. And at the same time I was on stage. So Cusack and I met when we were eight years old at the Piven theater and so we were up there doing our thing and performing and butchering Chekhov and all that. And also, we, it was very interesting because when we were on stage, we were doing improv. And so, but we were also doing, you know, a bunch of other stuff as well. Some great written work. So I lived in those two worlds where I was either on stage or, or hanging with the athletes. So I got very lucky in the way that growing up, you're either in one world or the other. You're rarely in both worlds. So I got very lucky. So I was punched in the dick a lot. And then I would go be a sensitive thespian. So I think, I think I, I have all of that in me. Uh, I'm very, I'm very sensitive, but I can also be punched and punch you in the dick if needed. And do <laughs> it with love. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to work on being sensitive because I'm so sensitive that like I can take things that aren't meant for me. I can take them so personally. And then it shuts me down for the day. And I, and I didn't think anyone noticed. And I was talking to Seguro just, I said, yeah, I can be really sensitive. He goes, no shit. You think? And I was like, wait, you noticed? And he goes, are you being serious? He's like, yeah, Tom Tom is like, Tom is like the puncher in punch you in the dick version of you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I, uh i i have we're i'm going away for a little bit and he we need a guest host for two bears and i got i got so sensitive about the fact that i wouldn't gonna be there to do the show and that he would have someone else and that i was like that what if he likes that person more forgetting that it's my show too that that it's me and him created the show but i just and i called him and leanne goes just call tom and so i go hey if if you do a guest host, can you run it by me? Like, just because I don't want someone that, you know, like, and he was like, are you being serious right now? He was like, don't <laughs> worry. He's like, you're fine, Bert. You're not losing your seat on two bears, one game. <laughs> uh, by the way, Bert, Tom did call me. I am replacing you. <laughs> I would love that. I would Bro, love that. It's happening. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I hate to tell you in real time, but it's a wrap for you, brother. <laughs> no, no, I know you. No, I love. I, and by the way, I can tell that you feed off of people's energy and you're feeding off of my sensitivity. And that's why it's like 
we're two sensitive guys talking right now. And I can't tell if this is boring as shit and will seem very pretentious to people or they will actually see that this is who we are. I don't really care. Yeah, I've, I had to stop caring about what the way I was interpreted. because I was like, I think I'm getting interpreted the whole wrong way, but fuck it. It's paying the bills. So as long as I'll, I'll ride this horse until it breaks. I, I know a woman, uh, by the way, who is your biggest fan. And it's just so interesting because uh, I just was listening to her talk about you. And she hasn't even seen your stand up. She just watches you on these various shows where you're hanging out with Tom. And it's like a it's like a reality show about you're, you're doing these retreats. Oh, the uh, the cabin, the cabin. She just can't stop talking about you. She can't get enough of you. And it's just <laughs> it's just amazing to see her reaction to you. Oh, it's just very it, sweet. It, no, it's just true. It's like there's something about you that is very genuine. Um, and yet you're out of your mind, you know, and you're a yeah. lunatic, but you somehow are evolved enough to have a family um, and you can somehow wake up in the morning and still make your appointments. But smart money says you're going to wake up naked on someone's stove, you know, yeah. and it's going to be awkward. <laughs> one bottle of wine, Jeremy. If I keep it at one bottle of wine, I am a savage the next day. And what, and what happens when you exceed that? Well, after one bottle of wine, then, then we get very punitive the next day. I become very angry with myself and I force myself to do certain things out of my comfort zone. Uh, you'll probably notice that I'm on Instagram a little more if it's more than one bottle of wine. But one bottle of wine, I had a bottle wait, of wine. But what about those people that think that all you're doing is drinking Coors Light and crushing it till a million o'clock? What you're I saying think, is, I think you know, I I don't. Here's the thing: is like I, I remember, I remember one time, I remember one time trying to get in front of like what people's expectations were of me because uh, like popular misconceptions are is that I'm always drunk on stage. The truth is that night at the, at the laugh factory, I tried to get out of that set. I tried to get out because I knew I was day drinking. I don't like going up uh, drunk on stage. I do not like it. Normally oh. I I've found that if I do it for, because I'm so self-conscious of it, I'm, I, I do very well. If I've been partying, I do very well, but I try to keep, I know that that's not a maintainable lifestyle. So See, that's my misconception about you. Yeah. We were on a set together at the Laugh Factory, and I'm like, this is a lunatic. This <laughs> yeah. dude is, this is for real, man. I tried you're really hammered, hard to get out of that. And and then I would watch your career, and I'm going, this is all authentic. This dude, <laughs> how is he maintaining it? <laughs> See, I also, I also live my life based on rewards. So, like, I have certain things that I believe are rewards. And so if I can maintain some sense of uh, like discipline, then I get rewards. So like this morning is a perfect example. Last night, uh, I, we set up my new podcast studio. I had my trainer come over. We worked out. I did, I'm doing two days right now. So I'm running in the morning and lifting weights in the day. And then I got done and I said, I deserve a treat. So I opened a bottle of Fitvine and I had one bottle of Fitvine last night. Came home, watched this documentary. Segura has been hounding me to watch. Didn't love it. And then I just said, all right, now we're going to murder some liquid death, some water, and we're going to go to bed. And I went to bed at like 1030 and then woke up this morning at seven feeling amazing, amazing. And, uh, and, and that's what, when, if I can keep it in a bottle of wine, then I can, I can maintain like that forever. Here's the other thing is that I wanted to like, there was a period where I wanted to like, let people know I'm responsible and I get my shit done and I'm not what you think I am. But every time I meant to do that, Something like me showing up at the Laugh Factory after day drinking 
and then going on stage and referencing it and being out of my mind would happen. And it was like, I could try to put out all the fires, but I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. So I might as well just live it and let people assume whatever they want to assume. And then, and then be like, cool. You know, like I can't, it was that thing where we were talking about putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Cause I would say to Rogan or Burr, I would go like, you know, I don't like to drink before I go on stage. And then Joe would come by or Bill would come by and they'd be like, let's go get a cocktail before our show. And I'm like, I'm definitely going to go to the rainbow room, rainbow room with Bill and have a few cocktails before the show. He's Bill Burr. I mean, like say what you want about our friendship and, and that all, all aside, he's the greatest. I, I think he's probably the greatest, one of the greatest comics, comics of our generation. And, and, and I love him as a friend, but I also love hearing him think. I love watching him think. And so if he wants to go have two cocktails before a show at the Rainbow Room, I don't care what my parameters or rules are. I'm going to do it. And so that's when I was like, I guess, I guess my rules are there are no rules, you know, like, like, fuck it. Well, the, the fact that you're even exploring like two a days is is hardcore. So you're going to you're going to live both lights, but that's the way it should be anyway. You know, everything in moderation, including moderation. The other day, I don't know if Bill told you, but I, I had been co-hosting Hotboxing with Mike Tyson and we had Bill on. Yeah. And, and Mike is just eating handfuls of mushrooms. I saw that. Bro, and, and the look on Bill's face, like he didn't know what was happening. It was very surreal because Mike's like, you know, just, you know, basically I'm just, you know, microdosing. And it's like, bro, that's not a microdose. <laughs> that's, that's bro, that's a handful of mushrooms, you know, and he's 225 pounds of muscle, yeah. you know, and he doesn't even know how old he is. Mike, literally, I go, I go, Mike, in the prime of your life, he goes, what does that mean in the prime of my life? You know, basically, I'm, he goes, Dave, how old am I? He didn't know how old he was. Oh my and, God. and they're like, and he's like, am I 51? They're like, no, Mike, you're 54. He's like, I'm 54. He's 54 years old. He's, he's still fighting. And he's eating handfuls yeah. of mushrooms and he's trying to get Bill to do mushrooms. And I'm, I love Bill. I don't really know Bill. We're both kind of, dr we both love drumming and I've yeah. been on, on a couple sets of them and uh, I'm a huge fucking fan. And I just love the fact that he's that good, but he's that honest and he's that insightful and he, and he doesn't have any fear. And it's, it's like a weird kind of superpower. And so I'm intimidated. And there I am supposed to co-host with Mike Tyson, who's speaking on mushrooms. And now I'm supposed to interview Bill. And, you know, I, I really wasn't myself. And it was very, it was a very surreal experience. I, bet. I, and, I, I heard, I heard about it online, but keep going. I apologize. Yeah. I, no, I it's, all, it's all good. And, and so Mike was trying to get Bill to do mushrooms and, and, and I, I was just basically saying that my drug of choice growing up was, was mushrooms, but they were much dirtier and grimier and it would last eight to 10 hours. And now they're cleaner like weed. And so and I'm trying to, and now I'm telling this to Bill and Bill's looking at the two of us and he's just like, you know, shut the fuck up. He just like, he thought we were trying to literally peer pressure him into taking mushrooms in real time on this podcast. And suddenly I found myself like, ganging up on him with Mike Tyson, like trying to like hold him down and do mushrooms. And I was like, brother, that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. So now I'm totally misunderstood. It was, it was, it was a great time. We were smoking Cubans and wow. I actually, it was an amazing day. That was, was an the best part of that story. Jeremy is Bill did mushrooms two weeks ago. 
And I was like, and I was very, Bill's never done them. And he did them with his a friend. They went to the desert and they did mushrooms. And, and it was a really, I, I'm certain he's talked about it. He's talked about it with me on our podcast, but I think he's talked about it also on his own podcast, but it was a really interesting experience for Bill. And, and because of this, he's now going vegetarian this month. But um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty intense experience. I, I wonder, I wonder if, if, if Mike, Talking about mushrooms influenced him. I was wondering where he got the mushrooms. And now I know where Bill got the mushrooms. <laughs> Without a fucking doubt. How did I not put those two together? I guarantee you, he probably pulled Mike aside at the end and was like, hey, can I get a couple of those mushrooms to take with me for a trip out to the desert? I fucking guarantee you. I'm going to text Bill right now. You got the mushrooms from Tyson, didn't you? Oh, Bill's probably going to hate this. He's like, don't fucking rat Tyson out. He's not a drug dealer. Don't fucking rat him out. No, but, but, you know, Mike is just, he just like, throw me, throw me, throw me. And he just gobbles them. And he just talks about how clean they are. And um, for him to take this much and have that clarity for hours at a time, I, I'm, you know, Mike Tyson has worked very hard and he enjoys the finer things in life. So <laughs> smart money says those are the best mushrooms. Those the money be good. Buy. They're coming. He's getting the best mushrooms around town. I, I, well, God, I, would, I would love to, by the way, I, here's my, here's me, right? When you talk about, no, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking smoke a cigar today. Definitely. I can't watch someone smoke a cigar and not want a cigar. Um, in that scenario, I would have ended up taking the mushrooms and I do not take mushrooms anymore. I would have definitely ended up folding and taking the mushrooms with Mike Tyson. For me, to take handfuls of mushrooms with Mike Tyson and try to interview Bill Burr at the same time, it was just a little too much for me. I imagine I, so. I, I just felt like I would have just started sobbing like a grandmother. You know what I mean? I just would have yeah. broken. I would have broken something or I just, but I, I do, I do want to break through that. I haven't, um, I'm inspired by Bill doing that because I've been putting that off. M Mike has gone much, much, much deeper. Mike is now licking the toad. That's not a euphemism for yeah. going down on someone. I know it sounds crazy, <laughs> licking the toad. But no, he, you know, it's 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 more intense than DMT, and it lasts yeah. 15 minutes, and you face your own death, and it scares the shit out of me. And 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 you know, they keep talking to me about doing it, and and I want to do it, and I'm a pussy, and I need to do it. Well, where where were you? Like, what was your What's your relationship with drugs and alcohol throughout your career? Because I remember I ran into you at a, I think it was a bar in New York called Lucky Strike. Yes. Is that with Lucky Strike when you were with Peter Berg. And I yes. had just seen, I think it was called Aspen Extreme. Was that his movie? I had just seen it that day. And I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. And you guys were fucking super kind to me. I was just like a young kid. I was just a young kid in New York, just started stand up. And I was like, dude. And then I recognized you. I was like, oh, fuck. You guys were very nice. I think you guys ended up buying me a drink and then saying, thank you very much. Here's a drink. It was good talking to you. We're kind of having a moment. <laughs> yeah, we, were, we, were, we were having a moment because he, he had directed very bad things. And, and that was a very intense experience. But I'm glad that that was a good story and that we were all decent to each other. Yeah, you guys were very um, nice. I, you were very nice and very respectful. You had your moment. You let me like, and I, now I, from my perspective, I go, 
Oh, they were extremely gracious. Like you, and you guys bought me a drink and waited for the talk to me while the drink showed up. When the drink showed up, you did a cheers with me, and you're like, "Hey, thank you very much." And I was like, "Ah, oh, cool, man. That's how it's done." Like, yeah. The, the thing about Peter Peter Berg is a very underrated director. If you look at any of Pete Berg's movies, the best performance of The Rock is with Pete Berg. Um, he takes people and get and and he and he gets their best performance. Um, because he's an actor and that's his background, but he creates an atmosphere on set where people feel comfortable enough to do their best work. Yeah. You, you know, as a standup, the more comfortable and the more present, the best you're, the better you're going to be. You're going to be riding on your feet. You're going to be crushing it. Yeah. If you're getting in your own way, you start to lower the bar for yourself. And, and Pete creates that atmosphere on set and he'll take multiple cameras, put it on your hands while you're talking. You don't even know it. And he's grabbing organic moments. Pete is is totally underrated, um, and, and is, underrated as an actor too. By the way, that Aspen Extreme, I think it was called Aspen Extreme, whatever it was called. I remember like falling in love with him as an actor because he has. There's a vulnerability that came comes out of him, just in just in the way he reacts to things. I, I remember really being like finding out he was a director, and I was like, oh, I like that guy as an actor too. You know, he was directing Tiger Woods. And was waiting for him on set when Tiger got in that crash. Really? Yeah. And they, they, he, Tiger was on his way to, to do a commercial with Pete Berg that morning. Shit. When he crashed. But so I back, feel, yeah, go ahead. I have, a, I have a feeling that Tiger will be back because he just seems like this completely indestructible force. Yeah. I think so. You know? I'm, I'm the biggest Tiger fan in the world. I, re I remember when he had to have a press conference and, and talk about his cheating. And I thought, what, wh why I don't, I don't need an apology. That's his own business. Yeah. I don't, why, why are we talking about his bedroom? It was very surreal that whole time. It's like, what's, what's going on? I don't watch Tiger Woods because he's the best monogamous golfer in the world. No. Yeah. I, I don't really give a fuck about Tiger's. I don't give a fuck about whatever's going on in Tiger's life other than, I love watching him play golf and, and, and look, man, I, I, when it comes to like, look, I don't cheat on my wife, but I, I have lots of friends that have cheated on their wives and I don't, I still friends with them. I still, I, you know, I'm not going to lose a friend over that. But that I think that's one of the, the many reasons why people love you is because you're an absolute animal. You're a complete degenerate and you're a monogamous evolved person at the same time. Which just, is, I'm just bad at sex, Jeremy. I'm really bad at sex. And, if and I you're show also it to very, someone, you're very honest. You're if I show it to someone, man. I'm not showing it to a lot of people. It's like, Bro, you ever seen someone, you ever seen someone who's bad at karaoke? You ever notice they don't do a lot of karaoke? <laughs> they only do it around people they love. <laughs> That's me and sex. Wow. I'm just, I'm trying to do the math on that analogy. That took me a second to wrap my fucking brain around it. <laughs> So wait, what was your, what is your relationship with drugs and alcohol growing through, through your years? Cause I, you don't seem, you don't strike me as a drunk. You don't strike me as a guy that has ever out of control, you know? Uh, growing up in Chicago, we were all animals drinking the moment we could. My town was dry. Um, and it, I'm on the, just beyond the North side of Chicago. The, the people are like, bro, you're not from Chicago with a hardcore accent, bro. You're from Evanston. Yeah. The end of my street was Chicago and I was on the Evanston side and we were dry. And if you go over to Chicago, you get alcohol. 
and we were drinking from the moment we could just getting hammered. And, you know, uh, I went to, I was in a fraternity in college until I found out they were anti-Semitic. And then I found out as I was pledging and they were like, tomorrow when we go out there, we beat the Jews. And I was like, what <laughs> the fuck did he just say? I'm, I'm, a, I'm Jewish. What, what's going on? And, and I saw my friends go, oh shit. This is a fucking rap. I was like, what'd you say, bro? And he's just like, no, no. And it became an after school special. He was like, you're not like the rest of the Jews. I was like, bro, that's the worst writing. Like you need a rewrite. That's a terrible line. You're not like the rest of the Jews. I was like, it's a fucking rap. You're a piece of shit. Um, so I was a lunatic drinking, doing everything. Uh, was dabbling in blow, uh, all that stuff. Um, Blow doesn't serve anyone. No one, no one can outrun that shit. No, no. one. No. And um, so I learned that very early on. Um, but I remember we did the, I had a theater company with John Cusack called the, the New Criminals. And we got the rights to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas to do before the movie to do the American stage premiere. We did a play version of Fear and Loathing. Yeah, man. And Cusack directed it. Um, and it was just, it was madness. And so we went out to Hunter Thompson's house to convince him to get the rights. And the first thing he did was we just started doing massive amounts of blow with him to the point where I forgot how to swallow. I forgot how to breathe. And he goes, and he goes literally, he's like, well, uh, who can read the, uh, you know, if you can read this paragraph, it had no punctuation. And he said, you know, if you can read this entire paragraph, you know, perfectly, I'll give you the rights. And he handed it to me, actor boy, and I couldn't speak. I'd done so much blow. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I was just, I was, it was a wrap. And my buddy, Steve Pink, who's a director, I shouldn't be talking about this. I, <laughs> bro, it, it feels like you've given me truth serum. I'm like outing everyone right now. So Steve, who's got an enormous brain, went to Berkeley. Yeah. political science major and he somehow ripped into it and we got the rights but hunter made us do crazy shit to, to earn his trust we did some crazy fucking shit and by the way everything you hear about hunter is true he is he invented gonzo journalism for a reason he he was a brilliant genius madman uh and and i was lucky enough to spend some real time with him and go into the belly of the beast with him in a major, major way. And he's, wow. he was a miracle and, 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 he, and I wish he wasn't gone, but we did some crazy heavy shit. And so we performed the, 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 we performed eight shows a week of fear and loathing Las Vegas on a stage for three hours a night, sometimes two shows a night. And at one point my mom was in the audience and she left and I said, Mom, why did you leave? And she said, watching you on stage was like watching someone try to uncork an uncorked bottle. She goes, it was too much. It was just too much. Because I, I ended up like I wasn't supposed to get naked until just before the first act. And I at that point, I got naked like in the first scene. And my mom was like, it's, and she just fucking left. Because, you know, my character takes five sheets of high power blotter acid. Yeah, I'm playing the Simone attorney. Hector Zeta Acosta, and I take out a fucking, you know, machete and I'm running around the stage naked with war paint on. And it was just madness. And um, basically, 
you know, Benicio Del Toro and Johnny Depp. And, you know, they they took it and, and turned it into a movie. Um, and it's I'm, I'm sure you've read Fear and Loathing. It's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, so that was the, one of my first books I read on my own. There you go. And he was he was brilliant. He, as I said, he invented gonzo journalism. He put himself into the eye of the storm, was taking all the drugs and narrating his experience. Um, and so I was the wild man and I went deep. And, and you know, by the time my my 30s and my mid 30s hit, uh, I realized that that didn't serve me anymore. Um, but I was always acting and prolific and never stopped. And then won the Fresh Face of the Year Award, as I said, at 37 years old. So on paper, I broke through at a time when professional athletes are retired. You know, so yeah. on paper, I'm a late bloomer, but there is no timetable to this. That's so crazy because you have, I've told you this, but you have been one of my favorite actors for the longest time, the longest time. Very bad Thank things, you. very bad things fucking slayed me. Like that, you... I, 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 everything you've done, everything you've touched, and I, and I, and and that's why when you transitioned over to stand up, I was excited because I think you are just one of those 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 dudes that like certain guy certain guys you like listening to talk, you know, and you, the way they talk, the way they approach just a word, like you know, Vince Vaughn is an interesting guy to watch talk, you know. Yeah. If you said he's a great stand up. That's what I, yeah, I think he ended up doing it. I think he did it with, uh, with, um, Steve Byrne and, and all those guys, they did like the wild West comedy tour, but it's, it's certain people are fun to talk, fun to go out, watch interview. And, and I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm excited for this movie last call. And I'm, I'm very, I feel very privileged to be able to have you on my podcast. And when I come back, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a little bit, but when I come back, I've got a new podcast studio. I'd love to have you over there when everything cools down with the virus and, and you have the opportunity. I'd love to have you over there, have a cigar and do another one of these if if you got can, can I can I possibly mention that I'm at Stand Up Live April eighth? Is that yes, possible? You yes, you can. Stand Up Live, great club. Shout out to Joel. There you go. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there for the weekend. I can't wait to do it, and I I can't wait to to see you and hang, uh, and maybe get on a stage with you soon. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll be back. Uh, uh, congratulations on the new movie, Jeremy. It looks congratulations awesome. on on everything you're doing you're the most <laughs> prolific man on the planet and oh. i celebrate you just say that at my funeral please just come <laughs> up and speak at my funeral <laughs> well hopefully that won't be for another hundred years because we need you being a fucking lunatic i'll take 10 i'll take 10 <laughs> <laughs> you'll take 10 good ones 10 good solid ones <laughs> thanks jeremy take Thank care you, brother. brother i appreciate it all right see you brother you. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.